Hey everyone, it's Spirit, and welcome back to the Super Combo Podcast. As usual, I'm joined by co-host Chris of Unix. Chris, how are you doing today? I am doing very, very, very well. Um, exhausted, but the content feels really, really fun right now to do, and I am excited to do more of it. So just uh, keep your eyes peeled. We are about to jump into a really cool podcast. I can feel it in my bones. They're all really cool podcasts, but this is going to be cool, cool podcast. Which yeah. Which cool as they always are. <laughs> <laughs> no, 100% agree. I mean, it's 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 a different swing, right? Uh, we've been in a lull for so long just because of like, and and I, I feel like in normal circumstances, it wouldn't be the case. But, you know, like regional stopped and then like nothing happened for like a month and then that's happened and then nothing happened for like a month and then worlds happened and then nothing happened for like two months. And now we're back in the swing of like regionals and like events, celebration style events. And now it uh, it's nice to have like I mean, as a content creator, it's always nice to have quote unquote free content, right? Like for me, a regional is free content because it's a free stream that'll have, get high, yeah, high viewership. Um, you can cover decks, deck profiles, uh, event meta, all that stuff. So it's, it's, it's a good time to be back in the swing of things of being able to grind out just talking about the game in a way that feels evolving as opposed to just like, all right, well, uh, week three of no news. What tier list can I make today? <laughs> Anyone that doesn't put Gohan beneath SS4 Bardock, I'll tell you what. Hey, man, that video has 4K views. I'm going to just accept that those 4K people have accepted my tier list as optimal, and Gohan is below SS4 Bardock. I just want to say, um, this past regional weekend, uh, Bardock topped and Gohan didn't. So, uh, sorry, well, guy. You know what? <laughs> I, uh, I don't want to really disappoint anybody, but um, some people have been showing me these Gohan lists, and all I'm going to say is uh, that's not it, Chief. So I'm not going to say it's the deck. <laughs> I'm going to say I think it's the build. Mm, okay. uh, I see a lot of people maining Kaiokens, which to me makes no sense. Like, if you're that afraid of Slug, I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen Slug anywhere. Like, you can put it in Trunks Jita, but, like, I don't know about that one. And I've been seeing a lot of people, like, running anywhere from 3 to 4 Android 17 SRs. Like, like... This card in a Gohan deck is a four drop. It's like a three to four drop, essentially. You're, you're, you're not using it on turns one and two. So I don't understand why you're trying to max out on copies like you want to open up with it every game. Like, there's just things. I could make a whole video on what not to do, but that's not what this podcast is about. Right, right, right. Spoken yeah. by your, uh, you know, world's best Gohan player. <laughs> you'll, just, you'll just save that after your topping deck profile, right? Once, yes. when, once you've taken it down, spill the beans on why everyone was doing it wrong. 100%. <laughs> actually the plan you spoiled my content for uh, uh, next week uh, after miami uh, spoiled my bad <laughs> uh, um so we do have a couple of topics to talk about uh the dbs fest arlington was this past weekend so we'll cover that in terms of everything that happened around that and then there's a couple the biggest controversy come out of the past couple of days um about how certain cards get ruled and uh, actually, this has implications for a good number of cards. So odds are, I think this will take a little bit longer to fix, but we'll talk about it when we jump into it. So starting it off, DBS Fest Arlington. Um, one of the things, uh, you know, first best of one pre-side event that we've, uh, we've ever get to play. And more likely than not, the testing ground for what will be the way that we play the game going into the regional season after March with Michael Kano taking it down with KP, right? So, so KP taking, being in the finals of the last three big tournaments. 
um, yeah. and taking down what two of them. So is KP tier zero? Is it too good? Do be are people just not respecting KP as a deck and having enough side deck for it? Um. Well, unless that was rhetorical, in which case I'm uh, sorry for just taking this <laughs> and flying off. No, please. Um, go. I don't think KP is tier zero because um, there are a couple decks that can still contend with it very, very well. Um, KP versus other comparable red decks is very rough. Like one of the main things about KP is KP is probably the freest in terms of battle cards that we have had in a long time. They've gotten rid of so many free play style type decks and KP still very much so lives in that realm. And it's not like red necessarily got better, but things that were gatekeeping red, such as, I don't know, yellow's extreme ability to keep red out of the combat or combo phase is uh, is actually how red kind of got shadow buffed. We are now freely able to enter the combo phase without every turn resulting in a power of a Super Saiyan slash Zamasu super combo the moment you turn a single battle card sideways. So with that being said, uh, King Piccolo plays a lot of free cards, is able to keep up aggression, and its awakening turn is very, very strong because generally you're gaining three cards, you're going up a life, and you're able to add so much onto the board. The deck is able to go through cards because of Piano and the Piccolo Unison, and the Piccolo Unison itself is busted. It allows you to really keep your opponent's pressure down just by defending themselves. It's one of those cards where it's... It, I see what it's supposed to do. It's like red stereotypically hasn't been one of the most defensive colors. So one of the ways that you counterbalance that is by making red have, you know, just aggression on its aggression. Like it takes away from your opponent's board setup while you're aggressing. You swing, they con or they counter, you pop something on their board. This, in theory, is more like an offensive shield. You get rid of some of their board presence, and therefore you won't have to defend yourself as hard the next turn. The only issue is that red is no longer bad at defending itself remotely. Like, Yamcho, Wolfang Fist, uh, like, Violent Rays is one of the best floodgates in the game for a while. If uh, things are too low for Violent Rays, you've got King Vegeta's imposing presence as long as your leader is a sand. Like, Red, I don't think Red is as crappy at defending itself as it needs to be to have Piccolo Jr. Unison be a card that's still in the game. It's just atrocious. Um, that being said, uh, King Piccolo is just, yeah, it allows itself to apply pressure. It has a combo engine that speeds the deck as well. Um, lots of people don't understand how, in design space, Piccolo is a deck that sees a gajillion cards a turn. You draw one per turn, you plus one with Piccolo for another card. Um, you're going to be able to cycle cards when you combo. Your your leader is putting a card from your deck to your life and then comboing with a card in your life. That is another card. You are filtering another card. You're going one card further in your deck and it is open knowledge. So yes, that counts as how many cards Piccolo sees per turn. It's in all just kind of wild in general. Uh, but I don't think that people... I don't think it's tier zero. I do think that until this past weekend, people were not respecting it. Oh, it's an old deck. I need to play U7 Goku. But um, the thing is, this deck allows you to see a lot of options. And in a good player's hands, the more options they can see, exponentially just increases how good the deck is. Mm. The more options you can see, the more plays they can make. The more plays they can make, the more ways they can outplay you, the more ways they can respond to situations. 
So while not tier zero, because Gogeta Zeno high rolling smashes his deck. Like if you just looked at some of the matchups, like Danny Wynn destroyed King Piccolo most of day one, and then he destroyed it in top eight until he lost. Where if you were watching the stream, his first two mills were like almost unplayable. Like, which is fair. That's the fate you play when you just pick up five cards and put them into the drop or the warp. But it was pretty unfortunate RNG on his part, considering how easily it looked like he handled KP. Um, there are some builds of Sin Shinron that can do exceptionally well. Um, I will just say we saw a lot of late game control Sin Shinron during the stream, and we saw King Piccolo mop those up. So um, that's all I'm going to say on that one, because I have some people that are invested, and I'm not trying to spill all the spice. <laughs> but um, when it comes to King Piccolo now, to be tier zero, you have to be literally like, unfuckwittable and that we've had very few tier zero formats in the game like do you guys remember when yellow blue hurricane storm could only really be contested by that is the definition of a tier zero format when your top deck laughs off any other matchup but the mirror that's a tier zero deck (laughs) yeah and king piccolo is not there yet um and i don't think it can be because it's not like they're printing any cards to make the deck better necessarily uh they're done with that archetype any buffs that king piccolo gets are red buffs not king piccolo buffs so i don't think it'll ever be tier zero to answer that question yeah i don't think so either i think it's just in a really good position and i think people are still in a position where they're not really respecting it um and you know like get those courts you guys in the deck guys make sure to play around the fact you know if you're going to swing into king piccolo recognize that he's going to get a free combo so you need to combo above that so that he actually uses cards when he's comboing away so that you can grind away his hand size, you know? Um, generally, I'd say ignore the unison because if you're going to waste resources trying to kill the unison, it's a waste of time. They're just going to protect it. So unless you know you can actually, like, kill the unison, I'd say, like, maybe not bother. But in general, it's just, it's a very strong deck. It's very solid. And it's not unbeatable. We're seeing people win within, you know, there's, I, I'll, I'll, I'll say the, the meta is still pretty diverse in terms of what you can see. Um, it does lean red. It does lean pretty heavy on red in terms of KP being a big representation of top cut as well as having the smattering of other red decks. Um, I mean, Cooler Mill is not really a red deck, but I mean, that exists. Red U7 is obviously another big one in anything that's running the U7 package. So in general, I think um, there's a lot of room to explore. And this is kind of what I love about new formats anyways, right? It's just people, ex- you know, all right, so now, you know, KP's got targeted us back. How do we adjust to that? Can we adjust to it in a way that allows us to have success? And if that's the case, then how does the meta evolve around that? So that's been fun to see. Um, I mean, I, I will say, I. While I don't, I'm not shocked that KP's still doing well. I think um, for me, it was very well rounded that it's a deck that could still do incredibly well going into the new format. Um, doing this well, where it takes a finals placing in the last three big tournaments, is shocking. Um, but also, when you note the players that are playing the decks themselves, right? Like um, you got uh, in, in the regionals, you got Joey Palladino, you got um, Marcel Russell, arguably one of the best Arco players to ever play the game. Um, you know, Michael Kano's no slouch either when we're talking about uh, DBS Fest, as well as John Carlo was there performing extremely well with it. Um, Eddie Saint Hilaire. So all I'll say, um, extremely good pilots piloting a deck that has a lot of options, deep draws, and you know, is able to figure out what's the best line of play for any given opportunity will definitely lend itself well. When we look at the rest of Arlington, and of course there's been a bunch of DBS Fests all around. There's one in Australia, um, in the UK, which Shoutouts to the one guy in the UK who finished third in their DBS Fest with Red Yellow Baby. 
Um, <laughs> I, I don't know who you are, but props to you, my dude. <laughs> um, so as far as Arlington goes, I only have the top eight in front of me. And I know for anyone who needs coverage on the past day one, day two of the event, um, huge, you know, go check out Chris's channel because he's done mad <laughs> coverage on top of it. So if you guys want the big deets, go on there. Um, but uh, top eight, we've got three KPs. We've got a Gogeta Zeno, a Senshenron, a Trunks Jita, a Red Blue Soul Striker, and a Set 16 U7 Goku. Um, and I know there's more of a breakdown there. Armani obviously played. Uh, what was Armani piloting? Amani played Sin in Texas. Yeah, there you go. So, um, and then a smattering of other players playing other stuff. And Chris will give us the better breakdown there. But just, you know, pretty diverse. Um, but the big thing that we're not seeing here, and I think is going to ring true for Miami, is the lack of true best of one decks. Last podcast, we were talking about how, uh, you know, the core regional really reflected the best of one format in which a lot of decks that can't be hated out or need to be hated out or do some very linear, very strange can often take some top placements, which a hundred percent have here. We're seeing this top cut be very much more aligned with what you would expect when people are able to bring in sideboard options and able to skew the matchups favorably on their side from there. Yeah. I mean, like, straight <laughs> up, yeah. So then Given what we're seeing, what do you think are your takeaway from the results from these past bests that we've been seeing around for this week? Um, some things are pretty typical of um of a startup format tournament. Uh, newer decks are over represent uh, over uh, represented because people want a change in play, you know. Mm. Um, and then when it comes to uh the older tried and true decks, some of them are starting to shine a little bit more. Um, it's just it's a it's a matter of you can play test, but unless you sit here and just go completely off, and you and your entire like and granted this happens when you have a good testing crew, this happens. They take all the old stuff, they take all the new stuff, and they try to see exactly what works. And that's when you have people coming out and winning tournaments with with like you know new decks off just straight off the cuff. But in most cases. People are going to go into what thing or things that they know are tried and true. Maybe some small additions, and I think these tournaments reflected that. Um, Trunks, Jita, Xeno Trunks, and U7 Goku started off these tournaments being the most represented decks that we had. Period. King Pickle, however, came up in each top cut along with Sinshin Run, along with Soul Striker in one to two copies. Um, then you start kind of shifting, and like one of these tournaments had three King Piccolos in top sixteen, like. The, the, we're starting to settle at a point where I think people are starting to have more faith in the or the OG strategies of our last you know couple formats than they are the new ones. And that's kind of weird to me, but I think there's still time to tap these new decks. I don't think they're kind of spent yet. I just think that people are trying to win these prizes. They're trying to like make these splashes and uh, more people are just feeling more confident playing older decks than they are the newer ones. Because I think some of them still have gaps. Not you, Trunks Gina. <laughs> yeah um I, th I think there's a decent takeaway here um and of course guys the biggest thing is of course start recognizing what's being played start prepping those sideboards and start understanding what to put in them right kp you have to sideboard for kp um black is still going to do its thing um while we didn't see trunks uh in large numbers here in other regions we did see that trunks you know was a strong prevailing deck so uh, you guys are going to have to take into account those matchups and start sideboarding for them. And that's the thing, right? As the meta evolves, the more you're ready 
to understand to what goes into your sideboard. So, with that said, Miami is coming down the pipeline. What are we to expect? I mean, obviously, Chris is going to take it down with, uh, I mean, I'm not going to spill the beans, but I think 9 out of 10 listeners can guess what deck is going to take. So, <laughs> so the things to expect for Miami. Um, I think much of the same. I don't think things change. Well, that's not true. So actually, I'm going to go and hold off on what we should expect going into Miami because there is an additional topic that I kind of want to roll into that because it could very much change what we're going to see next, uh, next week. Big deal. So instead, I'm going to focus on Arlington. Um, pivoting a little bit, we did have a situation where two players, and I'm not going to name names because, well, I mean, do I not? The winner of the event ended up making it into Top Cut for day two by IDing their last round, which effectively cut off an entire round of play and as well kicked out two X1 players from being able to uh, make Top Cut contention, which I think is absolutely baffling. Yep. Um, so I, I, my take on this. First off, I actually don't mind IDs in a game that allows it. You know, I come from Magic the Gathering. Um, that's a game that very much has normalized the idea of ID. And to a point, yeah, because like, how are you really going to prevent players from playing into a draw? in like most games that allow draws to happen, right? Like in Dragon Ball, you could very much just play to a point where no one's taken life. And if it wasn't for the tiebreaker rules, you could just end on a, on a game that nothing happened. So it is incredibly difficult way to be able to manage and to be able to prevent. However, we have so many tiebreakers in Dragon Ball now, and there's so many ways that we got to prevent that, that effectively they even say like, yeah, IDs aren't a thing. And if you attempt to ID, there are punishments. So it, it super sucks. Um, Unfortunately, the TO made the decision that they're just going to assign a draw. The software didn't allow for double losses, unfortunately, at, at which point I'm not going to lie, but maybe even a DQ was uh, appropriate at that point. But nevertheless, um, big rip to the players who weren't able to make top cut. This is obviously something that should get rectified. I mean, in the rule book, it should just, I mean, there's already an ID section. Um, so naturally just update the software to allow for it to actually deal with the kind of situation that popped up. Um, but um, yeah, this is effectively very much skewed um, the top 16. Um, it killed the tournament. And I think the biggest takeaway is also the fact that, you know, playing until one undefeated allows for these kinds of situ super feels bad. Because like our game really doesn't allow for draws because of the play until one undefeated, which means that oftentimes the draws limit the amount of rounds we play, which means that there's no clear cuts for top cut. In... Any other scenario where we weren't playing until one undefeated, draws happen, but they're not backbreaking, right? Like draws don't end up ruining the entirety of top cut just because it it doesn't shorten the tournament, at which point people are able to play out more rounds, which means that, you know, scores stabilize. So realistically, uh, they announced eight rounds. It should have been eight rounds. And I think while the ID super sucks, the decision on the TO was unfortunate. The players shouldn't have done it and should have probably been, you know, punished accordingly for it. Um, and, you know, I heard that the ones who didn't make Top Cut are getting reparations, which is great. Super happy for them. The crush of it all is really the fact that we still play until one undefeated, which wasn't an issue, which like was fine now that draws got taken away. And usually that means we're going to play up till those rounds anyways. But nevertheless, eh, we should probably just get rid of it. <laughs> it's definitely not a feel good moment. Um, yeah, so so we'll see. I mean, odds are it probably won't happen again you know, fingers crossed. <laughs> and I'm sure that th this will be something that Bandai has a discussion with on the back end. 
Um, but yeah, this is, you know, super unfortunate, a bit of a, a blemish in terms of, you know, the tournament itself, um, which is only exasperated by the fact that day one wasn't streamed at all. So like all the oh, focus for all the focus for the event was pushed down into day two, um, which means all the eyes were on it. So sucks. I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you have like any perspectives on it, but I think it's just, you know, something notable to say and just be like, it impacted the tournament. These are the realities of it. And you know, let's hopefully there will be strides to be able to move past it in future events. Um, I feel like knowing, seeing more and more of the story unfold has kind of been really crazy because, like, I was like, yo, TOs need to never host a game again. Now, finding <laughs> out, finding out that you know apparently their software broke and this made it so that you know they could not freaking uh making this so that they could not assign losses. Yes, that was just kind of like that was kind of just like bad in general. Like it, it definitely sucked that that happened. Um but the thing the fact of the matter is there's no way that this happens. Like you can say what you want, but there's like I have I know Kano's a really cool dude. Uh I don't know enough about Silva, but I've heard a couple of things that, that just didn't sit with me well. But I'll leave that for never. Um Basically, the things that I'm hearing are that, like, there's no way this happens unintentionally. There's no way two undefeated people just don't show up. Like, no. it's, a, it's 100% intentional. <laughs> exactly. Um, it's just that, that that part alone deserves disqualification, in my, in my opinion. Like, that, that alone. You know, like, this whole format and the rules that are like there are there so that nobody nobody can tie and you go out of your way to tie and frankly also at x1 here's the, here's another thing there's yes i know their system didn't allow drops but here's my thing if i'm x1 there is no way you're going to catch me leaving the table hoping that it's a double draw no, that shit is confirmed before I leave the building. <laughs> so when you're telling me, oh, they left and you just couldn't be disqual... Nah, that's BS. Somebody talked to an official. An official gave them some word. They decided what to do from there. Mm. Yeah. they they, they Somehow they found out that this is what would happen if they didn't show to the table. Because there's, no there's no way you don't do it otherwise. Yep, that alone is enough. That should have just been it right there. Like, kill it, kill it with fire. Um, and it it sucks because Seltzer and Rohit are good players. And this isn't the first time this happened to Seltzer. This, like, it, it's just not. Look, draws are cool and all. Sometimes you can't help it. But when people draw, decks like U7 Red Gohan win Gen Con. You just don't, you don't draw, <laughs> right? When a whole slew of top tables draws, like, fuck shit happens. And so... What I'm trying to basically say is I don't like the way it was handled. It kept people like, like it doesn't matter what I may think of the people. It doesn't matter what I may think of the TO. It doesn't matter what I think about IDA. At the end of the day, two people that did not show up to their tables should not have a better record than two, than two people that played out their rounds. Just shouldn't. That's the yeah. dumbest crap I've ever heard. Yeah, I agree. Especially oh, like, yeah. especially in a world where we go out of our way 
to have formats that can't cause IDs, right? Between like changing the rules to a way that where it functionally just shouldn't happen. Yeah. Yeah, so that's a little blemish. It's unfortunate, and it just wouldn't have been um, genuine of us to not at least talk about it just because it's been a big topic. Um, I think a lot of people have been talking about it. Uh, Joey made a video about it. Um, Brian, uh, Stage Zero, Android, you know, the man with a million names, um, has also been talking about it. Um, and in general, just the biggest takeaway as far as tournament organizers, get rid of play until one defeated, like, just suck it up. Um, in terms of overall, there were some actions that could have been taken accordingly. I was on the same boat as you as when I heard about everything that happened with this event. I'm like, well, you know, rip this TO. I guess they're never doing anything with Bandai again. But, you know, like I, <laughs> when, when you get a minute to cool down and realize, OK, OK, you know, maybe, you know, let people have their, you know, one to two steps to try and figure things out and uh, grow from grow from something like this then all the better. So, mm-hmm. I mean. We'll see. We'll see what the future brings. We'll see if this TO ends up running events again for, for Bandai stuff. And we'll see how, you know, the, if any sweeping changes come down the road in terms of probably not for Arlington, but maybe going into the regional season April onwards. Uh, mentioning Miami, though. So we've had this event and we're going to go into Miami. Of course, I think the biggest takeaways are the fact that we already know what a lot of big players are. Between the regional and this fest, they've been kind of confirmed, and now we have an idea of what we're going to be playing into. I will say it's a huge shame we didn't get to see the day one streamed for Arlington, just because it would have given us so much more of a better perspective on how um, decks played into sideboarded matches. Um, we've seen a little bit of that in terms of like um, some sideboard tech. Uh, the spiciest tech I think we saw Sunday was the fact that they brought in the um, unison goku the yellow one that like negates skills of battle cards five or less like that was like spicy sideboard tech big big ups on that on that usage so um so we're seeing that so we'll see how that pivots go going over into uh, miami however there are a new set of rulings on cards that are going to significantly change the way that they're played um right now they're ruled a certain way um ultimate dark dragon slaying a bullet is a one-cost counterplay that says if your opponent is playing a unison card, comma, they may either remove a marker from it for every two cards in their drop area and warp, or place it in their drop-in area instead of playing it. And if they don't do either of those things, your opponent can only attack one more time this turn. Now, the way that this is being ruled, and, and it's appropriately ruled, it's stupid, don't get me wrong, is that you can play this on a battle card, and because the first two requirements can't be met of them not removing two markers or not sending units into drop, then they can only attack once per turn. So guaranteeing basically a dormant potential effect on your opponent once they play a battle card. Um, now, you know it, I know it, we all know it, that the intent was that this counterplay had to be played against the unison card. However... It's not ruled that way. The way that the game works, you have to try and resolve as much text as possible because playing it on a unison is now part of the cost of the counterplay. At the moment, this is basically a free dormant. This is huge. Yeah. This is absolutely game-changing. Um, for my Janemba fanatics out there, uh, this is a four of in your deck now. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but we've had um, multiple, you know, all judges say, okay, yeah, actually, this does work this way. Although we have had Fash, David Fashbinder, who is like the number one straight to Bandai judge, the only level three in the game, to my knowledge. Um, 
say like, bro, if it was up to me, this would not work this way. And I'm definitely going to Bandai. If you are, pl- now I, you will need to find out for Arlington. Unless Bandai makes an announcement. Then if Bandai makes an announcement, makes a rod or whatever, then fine, so be it. However, if you are playing in Miami, find out if PPG is going to enforce the current ruling. Because I will say, if you are a Canadian playing in the Carta Magica Fest, they have already announced that Dark Dragon Slaying Bullet will be played as written until something is said about it officially from Bandai. Now, I am going to weigh in slightly. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to this sort of thing, right? Yeah. Um, <sighs> when you look at how Bandai does these things, it's clear that um, that Dragon Slaying Bullet, as well as there's another card actually uh, in the same set in green that's worded the exact same way. Yeah, Power Beyond Super Saiyan Two, baby. Yep. Um, these are clearly mess ups. Like, so that that's kind of just that is a problem. <laughs> um, but these are worded in ways where a single semicolon would change the entirety yeah. of how they're played instead of a comma. <laughs> and the fact that this is blowing up in forums, this is blowing up in the community group, this is blowing up in the judge group. And by all means, the judge group is probably more even looked upon than the community group. I have strong faith that this is going to get touched on in this following week. Uh, um, yeah, probably. I have strong faith. Like, this is clearly not as they intended. And Bandai generally is very quick to errata things when they are straight, flat out, not being used as intended. Yep. Um, if anything, I'm just shocked it took this long for people to be like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> um, although, big ups to my, like, once again, honestly, if you're any deck that's trying to go late to game, this is arguably the strongest your deck will ever be. Janemba players, you know, if you have time between now and odd, arguably the end of the week before they announce an errata, this is the strongest your deck will ever be. <laughs> so take it to locals, really piss off <laughs> the people who go to your locals and then put it away. Because I have no doubt in my mind that this will be changed. This will be taken away um, for all the cards across the board. There was that one. There's that one. There's one uh, with, like, Hidden Power of the Saiyans, but, like, that has always worked that way, and everyone was fine with that. Like, that's how people used to play it anyways. Um, So, just to say, take advantage of it. I don't know when the errata... Like, I am almost 99.9% guaranteed that an errata will be issued, because the effect is just way too powerful. So, and it's generic. Any deck can run it. Um, It's colorless. Um, It costs one. So, every single deck can run it. Um, so the question is, will it be live for this weekend? Because I'll tell you right now, I already have three slotted into my deck. <laughs> and I took it to Locals today, and everyone hated it. <laughs> so we'll have to see, because I, arguably this is almost like a 3-4 of an every single deck that can run it, which is every single deck, if it, for however long it sticks. And this will have ramifications to how the fests are played this weekend. Um, in a way that means, arguably, Miami could be a non- a non-starter, a dead on arrival, um, a, a big blemish on the 2022 competitive season just because 
It was the one tournament where people were allowed to use bullets the way it wasn't intended to be used. So, I one, mean, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. One missed semicolon, changing it all. <laughs> so, with that said, that's obviously big, big talk. A lot of the community going up and up in arms about it. Um, some people I've, I've heard say like, bro, it's not okay that, you know, TOs are holding this ruling standing. And I'm like, I hear you. But at the same time, we just always have to play cards as written and not as intended. There have been a number of cards in the past where like eventually got changed to written as intended. But if we're always going to just rule things based on how we feel Bandai meant for things to be played, which usually, you know, we're pretty accurate about most of the time. Um, it doesn't change the fact that um, that puts like, a lot of asterisks on a lot of interactions across the game and we just can't do that to ourselves so it sucks and like people bought out the cards so if you're bought like a playset for like a hundred dollars because you need them for this weekend and then like two days later bandai tells you says like oops it doesn't work that way and the card goes back to being a three dollar card like i'm sorry <laughs> um tough <laughs> so here's hoping that's not you guys but the card did get bought out it's like 20 bucks a piece now so we'll see what happens with that Oy, 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 oy. Um, but yeah, so I won't be going to Miami, um, nor did I go to Arlington just because uh, as a Canadian traveling to these events would neg me like a thousand dollars. And unless I'm winning the entire thing, I don't think I'm taking that away back with me. So uh, instead, luckily, as a Canadian, we do have the online Carta Magica one. So I'll be participating in that one and I will be streaming my game. So if you guys want to watch me be the villain for a weekend because I will be doing something that will be abusing the way the rules are meant to be used and played. So if you guys want to have that fun or yell at me the entire weekend, I will be live on Saturday. Um, but I do know that your boy Chris is going to Miami. So what are your plans in terms of your weekend trying to take down DBS Fest Miami, Mr. Uniax? Well, um, the way I'm tackling it, like, I'm actually looking at my sideboard right now, just kind of getting it in. Um, I feel like I need to be extra cognizant of the fact that, uh, King Piccolo is about to be, I'm not going to say rampant. One thing I've noticed is that these decks, like Sin and KP, like I said, they're not new. Some people would refer to them as stale, so they're never going to be quite rampant. Um, but the issue is good players will be playing good decks. And that means you may not see King Piccolo or Sin for a little bit, but when you do see it around five or around six, it's going to be piloted by somebody who has a functioning brainstem or worse, a high performance brainstem. And that's, um, that's gang. That, that's gang gang-ish. So I am trying to, as we speak, because my medical kind of put me at a point where I felt like, I needed to be best prepared for Sin Shenron. And um, what I'm starting to realize right now is that I may have oversided for Sin Shenron and mm -hmm. overtuned for it. Um, and so I am now trying to convert more of my 65 to handle King Piccolo because I'm at a comfortable space where I realized that there are about two cards I could cut that I thought I need for Sin that I don't need, need for Sin. Then... You have, um, you also have the, uh, hmm, it's kind of weird, because I, I, with, with both decks I'm thinking about playing, I like my blue matchup, and I like, uh, my ability to 
kind of race certain decks. It, it, I will be playing a little bit aggressive. But yeah, going into this event, I think you can't be caught by a sin lacking. And so I think that if you're going to this event, you should probably be having some form of copies of Realm of the Gods, um, namely because they are non-battle card-based removal, which means that when somebody has a nine drop on board, you just simply need to turn a unison or a leader sideways, tap on energy, and send that dude packing. Yes, they get two cards, but two cards in hand, I'm pretty sure, is a bitter trade, but it's a good trade for you being able to use any of your effects as they come into play. Mm. So that's a thing. Um, against King Piccolo, you guys are going to really have to start watching these streams and see how they operate. King Piccolo is extremely flexible, and there aren't many times in the game where you can actually be safe. Um, if you even leave them with half a board, that board's about to probably double if they feel like putting on the gas, so you have to be really careful. Um, and then it's kind of weird because this format is still kind of in the place that George and I talked about before, in the sense that you are in a position where... If you go too high, you're going to get raced off the ground. If you go too low, you're going to get stabilized on. So the best decks right now are aggressive decks that can tempo into mid-range or controlly decks that can tempo into mid-range because you have to be able to meet that middle ground. You can't be on too far of an extreme. I guess mid-range that kind of can go controlly. I don't like necessarily controlly that kind of dips down because you can still get raced hard. So I think like you want to be able to touch the mid-range at some point either finish off in it or start to get strong in it because you like, I don't know. There's a lot of decks right now that are, that feel their strongest in different phases mm -hmm. of the game. I mean, you got Gogeta Zeno blasting people on turn three at this point, but you've also got Sin Shenron hoping that you get to turn six so they can lock you out of the game. Um, it's wild, wild west out of here and you really got to keep a, your head in the swivel, but going into Miami, that is, that is my plan. Uh, I need to tune and play against King Piccolo until I internalize the matchup completely with the deck I'm playing. Um, Sin is honestly a matter of removal and pressure. It's not like they draw a million cards, but they commit to board and make really strong setups. So when you start punching holes in that setup, they have to rely on their tap six to apply enough pressure to kill you. And if you are able to punch holes in their board, and either kill them before that turn six, which admittedly is hard, it is still yellow, don't get me wrong, or play a card that makes it extremely hard for them to tap six. Like, I don't know, a unison in blue with God Sealing in hand, or a Vegito unison with its minus two. You can potentially put them in a really hard place. Um, so yeah, that's pretty much that. I'm not trying to, like, wish anything bad into existence, but I don't really see Soul Striker as much of a threat, because it it's still Soul Striker. It does what it does, and it's powerful, but... They haven't really gained anything new. Their place in the format hasn't even really changed. <laughs> it's just still a consistently solid deck. Yeah. It still does all the same things that it did before being consistently solid. Yeah, so. that's the, the the thing with Soul Striker. Um is that like and I, this is true for like all decks. Like I'm not trying to say like, yo, like you gotta be like giga brained for Soul Striker. But um Soul Striker being like the epitome of a mid-range deck just means that like it is like the deck doesn't really do that much work for you it accrues advantage pretty easily but because it's one of those decks where um you have a million options and you kind of just need to weigh what's the best option for every single turn um it is incredibly pilot dependent um not you know i wouldn't like i'd say in general you can get a half decent performance without too much trouble because the leader does give you a lot of flexibility in terms of like making mystics and stuff 
But if you want to like perform well, like get a top cut finish with Soul Striker, you need to put a lot of time into the deck, and you need to like, like you need to earn every single game, right? Like, I, I very few times when I play Soul Striker at a high competitive level do I feel like I cruise through a game unless like my opponent just didn't see what they needed to, and I was able to like draw a million cards to do like deal with everything they had. So, Soul Striker is so strong; it'll do things. Um, the new tools that it got like give it some new ways to play which can be like extremely oppressive if like you don't have a way to deal with it but in general um if the strong pilots of the game aren't on soul striker odds are the deck isn't going to have a breakout win unless there's a player that no one's heard of that like just has put a deep amount of time into the deck so just because a lot of players right now are on other decks um the likelihood of seeing like a lot of soul striker tops and even that's not impossible we did see a blue red soul striker um end up uh, placing this past weekend but we aren't going to see it in as high numbers as people would expect, even though the deck is still incredibly solid. So it'll, uh, it's one of those things where like, it might get a placement here and there. But right now, I think a lot of players are just kind of playing other things, which uh, will lead it to, um, to seeing the kind of performances we're seeing right now. As far as you know, things to... Uh, be surprised about. I think, um, unfortunately for Zamasu slash Goku Black, I think that deck hasn't fallen flat, but just hasn't been performing the way people have been expecting it to. Um, I, I think performance, not like part, uh, population size, is still of a decent size because people still really love Goku Black more than anything else and kind of want to see the deck succeed. But um, I do think if we're talking in that blue yellow realm, um, you are probably better off leaning on Soul Striker than you are. At this moment with uh, Zamasu, if I, if I had to say. Especially now that uh, with the lesser number of uh, population as well as top performances from Soul Striker, we're going to see people dedicate less sideboard slots to dealing with uh, blue at the moment. All right, uh, so that's pretty much it in terms of our coverage for uh, the fest and what to expect. Um, is there anything uh, on the fest that you'd like to cover before uh, we pivot off of this, Chris? Honestly, um, one thing that was surprising me, I thought there'd be a lot more backlash to B01 pre-side, but a lot of players are saying that it felt really, really good. The TO, they felt kind of messed things up, but they felt personally that these were feeling really, really, really good. And uh, I dig that. I honestly dig that a lot. So kudos for trying something new and it actually working. There's some things that we need to go into, though. Um, I think that these tournaments should be pre-side best of one Swiss and then best of three top cut. I think that would be perfect, in all honesty. Um, second, 25 minutes for, like, was it? Isn't 25 minutes for pre-side best of one? 25 minutes. And then five minutes overtime. With yeah, no, that's, on, that's straight up on cock and balls. Just, just give bro, it 30 minutes uh, or five minutes. Bro, I am going to break the online fest <laughs> with these time rules. Literally, literally <laughs> just make it 30 minutes with five minutes overtime. Like, you're already making us have to play BO1, and that's the king of variants. Please don't make the time clock the real gangster here, too. Like, that's all I got to say. <laughs> Ignorant. Yeah, I, I do think like we have best of one regionals in which those are like 50 minutes plus 10 minutes overtime, like all of last year, and those still had draws. 
So like I just don't understand the justification of where this will be okay as a 25 minute and I get the celebrations are or the fest are more celebration style events where they're supposed to be more fun um and not as serious but nevertheless I mean there's some pretty bougie pricing on the line so um who knows <laughs> we'll see um eh we'll 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 see if my attempt at breaking the format this weekend will work and if it doesn't then that's fine that's okay as well <laughs> but uh i do think best of one moving forward i agree with your the way that you'd format it i think best of one uh swiss going into a best of three top cut is definitely primo for just about most tournaments and then you know we can keep the cream of the crop the nationals of the season and all that um we can keep those into best of three all day and just accept that you know it's going to be a long day just because it's the most competitive tournament of the year you know so, with that said, those were our main topics for today. And actually, we don't have any questions in the SC mailbag. For I think this is our first week, ever since uh, like week two or three, when people finally started asking questions. So, if you guys have hey, any, <laughs> so if you guys have any questions that you'd like us to answer on air, you know, we already throw a lot of opinions out there. But if you want even more of those then you guys can tweet at us with the hashtag SC Mailbag, or you can go on our Discord, and there are channels there with the SC Mailbag where you guys can drop your questions right there, and we will answer them live. With that said, though, just to tie it all together before we go on to close out the show, I do have, I guess, my own little question in terms of the God Rare pre-release. $800 it has sold for, 900 People couldn't get 1000 for it. Two weeks later, we are now at a point where we've seen themselves for a thousand eleven hundred twelve hundred going all the way up to seventeen hundred which seems kind of like where it's stabilized so now we're about the fifteen hundred ballpark where we're averaging out for these god rares now that's way more on theme with which with where i thought these were gonna land the fact that some of them sold for eight to nine hundred dollars blows my mind where do you think you know you give it another month where do you think the projections for the value of the God Rare will land. Look, you can't anticipate stupid, okay? No! <laughs> no, for real though, like, there comes a point where a card gets high enough, and I'm just like, if I pull it, there's going to be a hard discussion with the Council of Chris's on whether we keep it or we sell it. Because if we sell it, we may never see it again. But if we keep it, you know what? Money comes and goes, and that sounds really weird because it sounds like something you only say when you have a lot of money. But let me put it out there. That is not me. That is not your boy. I am not balling. <laughs> I am trying to get out of the mud. I mean, I really do. I'm, I'm living decent. I pay my bills. You know, I can clearly play these games. But I'm not balling enough to literally look at a Vegeta SCR God Rare and be like, money comes, money goes. What I'm saying is, in the grand scheme of things, if you take all the times in the past month that you went and got fast food or went to a restaurant when you could have stayed at home, you look at your microtransactions, you play in your games, you look at the last you know times you bought cards when you didn't need anything from the set, you just wanted to pull. Chances are you're already nearing how much this God Rare cost. And that's a really kind of like more so life lesson than it is like card game lesson. You spend more than you realize unless you are extremely meticulous in most cases. And this is, there's no price on what makes you happy for the most part. But um, 
that ain't me fan. If I pull that card, I'm probably going to keep it because I think the chances of me spending more trying to pull it again than actually just outright buying it are freaking high. But um, I'm not going out and buying a God Bear. That's just not me. Like, that that just is not it. My SCR Vegeta works just fine. Um, I will always know in my heart that I was the first person on the planet to pull that card. <laughs> and uh, that, that makes it my own God Rare, beyond God, Neo God Rare, first population one in my hands. Um, but, no, it's a... Uh, it's weird because if it's already at 1500 now, like Digimon with Omnimon, that card dropped. That card used to be like 800 and then it kind of settled and it became yeah. like a $300 it's got, card. It's got a million printings. That's kind of the issue with it. A million printings. And another thing that kind of sucks, not necessarily about it, they made it into a card that was already circulated as just a strong, decent card. You know, set one, most. Yeah, our most red or blue Digimon decks ran it. Like, I mean, most red ones, not exactly like most blue. The point is, the card was circulated already, and this was a reprint. This card is a valid, probably the most valid red SCR we had ever received. And um, it has a high rarity now that's hard to find. So this card is going to retain weight because it not only is rare, it is playable. Not just playable, it is actually changing how red decks work. Red decks now have a secret rare that you can tap four for. It has deflect, so it has protection. And you can destroy the board and crit your opponent and make, like, the fact that it destroys your opponent's board one-sidedly and minuses your opponent's leader by 5k means that it softens up your opponent's leader to be swung on by everything you have on board. If you play Vegeta onto a stacked board and then just crit them for one and just blow up their stuff, you are already in an overwhelming position. You're now your 25Ks are swinging on a 10K leader. That's disgusting in terms of combo power. They better have the counters or they're probably going to die. Or worst case scenario, you play this in a simplified game state and you're swinging twice for 40K knowing you're going to remove him and blow up stuff. It's just wild. So this card is going to retain its value. The God Rare is easily going to cruise at over 1,000. And honestly, this game lasts five more years. God Rare is going to become a collectible masterpiece. I actually see this card going up higher than a card like uh, Apex. I don't think it's going to go higher than a than a mint. Um, I don't think it's going to go higher than a mint condition uh, Awakened Power because that set is just incredibly bonkers to find. But I can foresee, given the time that Apex took to rise like that, I can see this card being way more than that because it's harder to find and it's more playable. Right. Hmm. True. True. I mean, there's a lot to be said, right? Like, it's people are still opening boxes of this set. It's an incredibly popular set, so we'll see where things land on it. Um. So, time to tell. But I, I do agree with you. I think um, there's a lot that the card has going for it that'll lend to it just being uh really valuable. And you were, I think you rang it like really well in terms of like money will come and go. And like I just, and and part of that's kind of why I just collect. Like that, I could move a lot of the cards that I have, and I have some decently valuable ones. But to me, it's just like. And, and obviously, you like it is a privileged position to be in to say like you know like I just don't need the money at the moment, so like all the better for me. And obviously, that's not true for everybody. But um, if that is a scenario where you're in, it's just like I you know well, I'll just hold on to it. Whereas like the, the 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 money at the moment isn't going to change my life in a way. So it's uh we'll see if I ever pull one. Uh, we'll see from the one box I get from three mana whenever that box comes around. Um, because you, your boy just doesn't buy sealed. <laughs> so. 
we'll 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 see if uh, that can come around and if it uh if it does baller if not we'll see if i ever get the opportunity to pick up one but um it's not i mean at least the way it looked means that i didn't have to pick up two because originally when they announced the god rare if it came out to something like incredibly more stylized kind of like how digimon do it i do feel like your boy would have ended up having to pick up two one to grade and one to one to play just just because i like flex i'm like that but alas i am perfectly happy with the one i bought whenever it gets here we'll see um, it is coming all the way from Hawaii, and the, that usually usually means that it'll take two to two to three weeks to get here, <laughs> even on priority shipping, which is wild. But hey, this is what you get when you when you ship from faraway lands. Cool, 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 cool. So those were our topics, our discussions, and of course the question period slash not question period. As far as this week goes, Chris, what? Of course, you're going to be in Miami, so I'm sure that's going to skew what you have coming this week. But what can our listeners slash your viewers, followers, and fans expect from you this week? So, here we go, guys. Um, tomorrow, I am going to, I think, come out with again, like my comprehensive, really in depth, what I think I should be, what what think people should be looking for. In uh, Miami, I'm going to go into like just the normal UniX DBS levels of speculation, rambling that I normally go into. No, I'm, I'm going to try to write it out so it's not like you know just just terribly rambling. But I think that's that's the time for it. And um, as a side note, I'll probably just finish off some of the new info I've received about the drama that's going down in um, Texas because some of the heat does need to be lifted from certain parties. Um, not forget, not necessarily like just blindly forgive, but I don't want to be too hard where I don't need to be. Um, other things I'm going to be doing this week, I think I might touch on the cell deck. Everybody's kind of been in there, but to like really do something this late when it's been out for this long, and by this long, I mean a couple days, I'd really have to dive into the entire card pool of usable cards to make a video that hasn't already been done before. And I'm not sure if I'm going to have time to do that this weekend. Um, I won't front a lot of this week is going to be tuned towards me getting ready for Miami the best I can. So uh, definitely expect some Miami prep videos and pass that. Hmm. I felt like this morning I had so many ideas in my head, so I'll probably come back tomorrow morning. <laughs> I'll just have to stay, stay tuned. Like literally, yeah, Miami prep is going to be there and that's probably going to be the best of what I can put out. Of course, post Miami, we should have a lot of content. Um, I'm going to be there with a lot of bros and the bring the camcorder. So chances are we're going to have a lot of deck profiles going on. Um, the like Mangeku cloud again has just flared up even harder. It is stronger. Now my Sazanawa is gaining armor. I should be able to be able to snipe a whole bunch of deck profiles and interesting little interviews because um I don't know. I feel like I'm getting more and more kind of just room to stretch my legs in the community as a content creator. Um, so it is what it is. Uh, just expect a lot of coverage. I'm going to be doing a lot of lives. Uh, I'm going to be putting up some videos. I think something I may try to do, if you guys like, just let me know. I'll, I'll float the idea in my next video too. I might do lives in between rounds Ooh. and just talk about the experience and then i'll do a compilation where i sit down and really break it down so you'll kind of get my like blow by blow coverage mid-tournament but then you'll also get the you know afterthought hindsight 2020 
intense breakdown when I get back. That way, there's no shortage of content, but you can also kind of see the difference of playing and processing versus reflection and, you know, just actual analysis of how things were played out. So, yeah, I'm going to be trying to push the envelope. Uh, this is just the beginning on how much tournament coverage I put up. I'm very pleased with myself because as far as I could see, I was probably the fastest person to put out this stuff. And um, that that bodes well for me because if I can put that together on days that I'm literally working, watching a stream, not a stream, Texas, and then on day two, a stream and another stream. Thanks, Eggman. Um, I think, oh yeah, shout out to Latin because Latin America had streams busting on two days. Like had me looking over here and not understanding a single word what people were saying, but at <laughs> least they were streaming. <laughs> Texas. So, anywho, actually, I can't even hate on Texas. Mm, play TCG. Anywho, uh, I feel pretty good. If I can get that coverage up while working, I can only imagine how much coverage I can get up and how more polished it can be if I had the day off just to relax and gather info without clients coming in and stuff like that. So, we're going to crank it up. Uh, I Like I said, I said almost every video, I want to be either the best, if not one of the best content creators for this game you can watch. And uh, in this podcast, you get to see two of the best content creators for Dragon Ball Super card game. Spit, facts, and opinions, and occasionally bash each other's favorite decks. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> true, true, very true uh absolutely so you know guys has been on top of his game in terms of coverage so if that's what you guys really want to get then definitely go and check him out on our end um i took a bit of a break last week um you know uh, playing in that exhausted state at the regional actually drained me out way more than i was expecting so um it also kind of <laughs> okay my guy Bro, you best come out with the top this weekend, or if not, oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll do best. But, um, but yeah, so I ended up taking a break last week. I ended up not streaming in games because I just kind of needed a break from playing. Um, but uh, we're back into things. Odds are we'll get some streams, and of course, we will have our stream on Saturday for our run of the online Canadian Fest. So we'll be doing that in terms of videos. I don't know, there's not too much I want to talk about that people haven't already covered. So uh you guys know me i only really make videos when the topic kind of makes sense for me so we'll see um on that front it's been a little bit slow just trying to figure out uh how i want to position the channel and where i want to take it but nevertheless the streams will keep coming the gameplay will keep coming and i've gotten some new cards to kind of mess around and uh play with some new stuff so we'll be fiddling around with that on our end but everybody with that said that was our show for today thank you guys so much for listening and of course until the next show best of luck with your top decks and uh i got one final closing comment just mm -hmm. stay rent free in your head if you guys look up the spr art for king vegeta's imposing presence look directly in king vegeta's face and wonder to yourself did he kill the barber that shaped up his beard. Because King Vegito is pretty ruthless. But if you look at this artwork, I feel like that barber is no longer... Like, he died long before Frieza blew up the planet. That's all I gotta say. Just look at the artwork and you'll see what I mean. I hope you guys have a great night.